your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to get started in the Word of God this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm real excited uh, for what the Lord is, is leading us into. Uh, we've been discussing, we've been teaching, we've been uh, learning, as it were, uh, things pertaining to the, the gifts of the Spirit, things pertaining to the, the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. It's one thing for us to understand what the Bible says and be able to read it and see it on the page, um, but it's entirely another thing for us to be able to recognize. Everybody say recognize. It's an entirely different thing for us to be able to recognize when that thing that we've seen on the page actually happened. And so we've had an emphasis on the, uh, the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, we're going to continue that teaching on Wednesday. I believe it's important for us to do that. I want to encourage you as many as you can to come. Obviously, all the messages that we minister here uh, are recorded, so if you aren't able to make a Wednesday or two or whatever and you want those, um, you, can, you can get those. So we're not going to teach on the gifts of the Spirit this morning, but I believe that the Lord is going to encourage you, and we're going to see what it is that God has called us, see what it is that God has spoken over us, and uh, I think it's important that we agree with God. Amen? Now, the word amen means so be it or I agree, so... I want you to be encouraged today that if you hear something that makes sense, you can say amen. This is all right. Praise the Lord. Roman, or Revelations chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 1 uh, to keep it in context. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. By the way, I want, I want you to see something here in just a moment. I believe that it's going to help you. Uh, the book of Revelations gets a pretty bad rap in the church, and it shouldn't. And the Bible says that it shouldn't. Let's look at a couple of verses here real quick. The revelation of Jesus Christ, Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. The Bible says that you're blessed if you read these words. The Bible says that you're blessed if you keep these words. The Bible says that this is an important thing. It's speaking of this revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave, and it's important for us to not be afraid of the book of Revelations. A lot of times Christians run away from the book of Revelations, and we don't have to. Now, there is a thousand problems, as it were, with the ideas and teachings that have gone out of the body of Christ regarding the end times and regarding things. Uh, but I think it's important for us to still acknowledge that it's the Word of God and that God will help us understand and show us things uh, as we look into the Scriptures and as we look into the Word of God. There's a blessing attached for us to study it. Amen? But we're not talking about the end times. We're not talking about eschatology. We're not talking about the rapture. We're just going to continue here and read verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who, who is to come, and from the seven spirits and before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. The ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, 
To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Bible says very plainly that Jesus is ruler over kings. Is that what the scripture said? Is that what your Bible says? That Jesus is ruler over kings of the earth. How many of you think that he's just talking about the... We have less than 15 kings in planet Earth today. You think that's what he's talking about? Jesus is only ruling over about 14 people. <laughs> it's, isn't that, it's laughable, even though that wasn't cued. Nick did a good job. It's, it's hilarious to think that, that Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, is ruling over about 13, 14 people in the earth. See, we have to keep the context of what is being said, and that's why it's so important that the Bible tells us the very next verse. And he has made us kings and priests unto his God. He's made us kings and priests unto his God. Turn over to Revelation chapter 4. Now, I want everybody to say this out loud. Seriously, I know you've been quiet so far. But I want you to say this. I want you to say, Jesus is ruler over kings. You did good. Revelations chapter 4 and Revelations chapter 5. I want to give you homework if that's okay. It's not painful. It's not difficult. I want you to read Revelations chapter 4. Revelations chapter 4 and Revelations chapter 5 are not another one of those times where this is a continued thought, but the translators broke it up into chapter and verse to help us be able to identify. But this is one event. This is one scene. This is one a demonstration in heaven. And so I want you to read Revelation chapter 4 for the sake of time, but we want to pick it up in Revelation chapter 5. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? All right. Revelation chapter 5 verse 1, and I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, John said, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. How many of you know you could just preach forever on that statement? <laughs> Amen. Jesus has prevailed. Do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. Amen to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Jesus is approaching his father. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, every tongue, and every people, and every nation. And you have made us kings and priests unto our God, and we shall reign in the earth. 
Now, this is talking about a millennial reign where they're going to come back with him at the appointed time and reign. But he's, he's, they're talking about reigning in the earth, but before we look at reigning in the earth, Jesus already made them kings. They were kings before they were reigning. Their time of reigning on the earth had not yet come, but that didn't change the fact that they said of themselves because they heard what Jesus said of them that they had been made kings unto their God. Their time of reigning in the earth hadn't come yet because the, the millennial reign isn't here. But there is still a fact that they had been made already, past tense, made kings unto their God. I think it's important for us to acknowledge Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 4 says, where the word of a king is, there is power or authority. A king in this earth rules by decree. The Bible tells us where the word of a king is, there is power. And Proverbs tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. He that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Jesus spoke about speaking to a mountain and telling it to be gone and be cast into the sea. Jesus himself spoke to a fig tree that bore no fruit and cursed it, and his disciples heard it. And the next day on the morrow, they came back by to see that the fig tree had died, withered at its root, and was gone. And the Bible says his disciples ended up believing it because they had heard it and they had seen it. There's an authority that we have in this earth given to us by God to release power with our mouth. Now, you, you got to understand, you have to understand, it's not that I don't believe it, I just don't believe it all. There is a lot of teaching about confession in the body of Christ. And I think that somebody who's hyper-confession would say, oh my God, I was laughing so hard I thought I was going to die and then someone's like, oh, my God, don't say that. You're not, you don't, oh, don't say that. Don't, don't say that. You're going to die. I think that you need to tell that person to calm down, chill out, take a break. Are you here? I don't think that God's really like, oh, well, they said they're going to die, so I guess it's time for us to kill them. Are you here? But I do see, scripturally speaking, there are power or there is ability or there is capability in our words. Well, it makes sense because God has made us kings, to rule and reign in this life, to operate in this life, to minister, function, and flow in this life. And so we, like God, has creative power in his mouth to be able to speak things into existence. Remember Romans chapter 4. Now, just because we don't turn there and look at it with our eyes doesn't mean you shouldn't look at it on the page at a later time. Say, okay. Remember Romans chapter 4. The Bible's talking to us about Abraham, and the Bible's talking to us about Sarah. The Bible's talking to us about the child of promise, and the Bible says that we should be like God who calls those things which are not as though they are. And the context is talking about Abraham having faith in God that what God had said really was going to happen. And then the, what Paul says, and I think that this is fascinating every time I look at it, Paul says, after that statement that Abraham was believing God, he said, who like God? It's a contrast. It's a comparison. Let's turn there real quick. Romans, we'll turn and read and see what, uh, what it is that we're talking about here. You doing okay this morning? I want to submit this to you this morning that God didn't get you born again to come into this kingdom to just sit around and wait for a rapture. He didn't get you born again to come into this kingdom and sit around and wait until you die. 
He gave you something to do. He gave us something to do. And we're supposed to operate in this earth functioning the way that he functioned, ministering the way that he ministered, loving the way that he loved. Amen. Anytime this makes sense, say amen. (laughs) And caring like he cared and sharing like he shared and so on and so forth. We're not supposed to just be born again and sit around waiting for the day that we get to go into heaven. We're supposed to labor for a reward, amen? We're supposed to labor to be pleasing to him. We're supposed to work while it is yet day because an hour is coming where no man can work. These are words in the Bible, in the New Testament, primarily that God is telling us, do something. Go do something. And so for us to hold fast to the idea or hold on to the idea, well, I can't do something because of who I am or where I've been or what I've done, We've got to get an understanding of the forgiveness, the forgiving power, the loving power of God, the redeeming power of God, the blood of Jesus that washes us, and the understanding that God isn't as concerned about your yesterday as you are. God just doesn't care as much about yesterday as you do. Are you here? (laughs) He, he, He didn't fall off the throne. He didn't say, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that so-and-so said that. We're shutting the whole thing down. We're just going to quit everything. We're done. Everybody say, thank God. Him working in this earth isn't based on my abilities. <laughs> Amen. He's a lot less concerned about your yesterday than you are. He wants you to get it right. He wants us to get it right. He does want us to get it right. But he didn't pull the plug and say, it's all done. We're just going to have to give up on this. It ain't going to work. He set this into motion and said, I'll minister in this earth through my body, and I'll anoint my body with power by the Holy Ghost, and I'll give them the ability to be able to go and do what it is that my son Jesus did in this earth. Amen? So we can receive forgiveness, and we can receive grace for whatever it was that we did yesterday and go on today doing what it is that God wants us to do. I want to say this to you one more time and then I want to give you the good news of it, that God isn't as concerned about your yesterday's problem or failure as he is about whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish today. He's living in today. He wants to get you working today and he's thinking about what's coming. What happened already happened. We can't fix it. We can't change it. It has to be forgiven and washed away by the blood of Jesus. He's more concerned about what we're doing today and what the change in the, in the, in the attitude and the willingness and the submittedness and the surrendered heart is being worked in today, what it's going to bring about tomorrow. There, there's, always a, he, there's always a future, there's always a hope with God, amen? He's never going to just say, enough's enough, we're not going to be able to do this anymore. You've messed it up beyond repair. Praise God, he's good, amen? Romans chapter 4, verse 13, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law were our heirs, faith is made void and the promises of no effect. For if those who are of the law are heirs. So the Bible tells us that people are not heirs of God by keeping the law. Those who are of the law, those who are under the law, those who are working the law, those who are practicing the law are heirs, then then this whole thing is void and of no effect. Amen? 
because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed, in other words, Abraham, being like God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do, who contrary to hope and hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to, the, to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the, bolt, the deadness, excuse me, of Sarah's womb, but he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. And it was accounted to him as righteousness because he believed. And it says here in verse 23, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our transgressions or offenses and was raised at the point or the time that we were all justified. We have to understand that God is calling us, even a man in the wrong covenant on the wrong side of the cross in a, in a broken, incomplete covenant still had the ability to be able to call those things which are not as though they were and speak life into things that were dead. Why? Because the power of death and life are in the tongue. That's always been. It's always going to be. God created us with the ability to be able to speak life because we're created in his image and we have been partakers of his nature and we have his character. Now, you can't say, I'd like a mountain there and say, mountain be, and a mountain's going to come. We're talking about the ability to be able to not just sit around and watch things happen to us, but go and affect change in this earth in Jesus' name. Amen? Because we're kings and priests unto God, we rule by a decree, we rule by the power of our words. We say that we're not going to put up with this attack anymore in our life. We're not going to put up with this attack anymore in our family. We're not going to put up with this attack anymore in our and our marriages and our this or that. And we make a, dis we make a stand and we make a distinct decree and say, According to the word of God, we have authority. And according to the word of God in Jesus' name, we're going to start seeing some things change. Amen? Does that make sense? Praise the Lord. Let's flip over to 1 John chapter 4 and uh, take a look there for just a moment. 1 John chapter 4, we were quoting that on Wednesday, um, the beginning parts of that verse. But uh, 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read in verse 17. And uh, just for the sake of time, I won't build you the context, I think that you can read that for yourselves, all right? It says, love has been perfected among us in this, we have boldness in that day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, am I going to take a ton of time for us to go through and, and preach long on this verse, but I want you to understand something. I want you to see what's being written Notice in your Bible it doesn't say as he was. Look at your Bible. Notice in the 17th verse it doesn't say we'll have boldness in that day because as he was, so are we in this world. What does it say? It says is. It's not a past tense, it's a future tense or a, a present tense, excuse me, as he is, as he is right now. Now you've got to understand that John wrote this letter to the Christians that God had given him to be a pastor over and an elder over. 
long before, long after, excuse me, Jesus had already been crucified, long after Jesus had already gone up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And John is talking in the text or in the tense of as Jesus is right now in this moment when he's writing. Now, Jesus, would you agree, is the, the he went to the cross, the sin-bearing Messiah, and he came out of the grave, the resurrected Lord, the, the, the firstborn among the dead, the ruler of the new creation, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? So it wasn't as Jesus was in the earth when he was walking around. Now, for some of us, we'd say, I'll take that. That would be good enough. If I could just be half the man that Jesus was before he died, that'd be good. I could, do, I could deal with that. And we've missed the understanding, and we've missed the word of God, and we've missed the purpose, and that's fine. We're getting, we're getting it squared away and getting it right by reading the word of God and understanding. Uh, but, but it's not talking about how he was before he went to the cross. It's talking about how he is right now. So what John is saying is in the, the present condition of Jesus, where everything has been placed under his authority, everything has been put under his feet, and he's reigning over everything as he is right now in his present condition, so are we, his body, in the world. As Jesus is in the present condition, reigning over everything in the earth, ruling over everything in the earth, the king of all kings, master of everything. As Jesus is right now in his current condition, so are we, his body, in this world. I want to draw your attention to something as you're turning to Romans chapter 5. Are you doing okay this morning? Is this helping anybody? As you're turning to Romans chapter 5, I want to draw your attention to John chapter 11. Jesus had gone to visit his friends in Bethany because Martha and Mary had lost their brother Lazarus. The Bible tells us that Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, and when Jesus found out that he had died, the Bible says he wept. He was, he was saddened by the news. But I want to draw your attention to Jesus coming and talking to his sisters and Jesus saying to his sisters, don't worry about it. He's going to be okay. He's going to live. And his sisters responding and saying, yeah, I know. We know that in your kingdom, when, when the resurrection comes, that he's going to live. And Jesus said, no, no, like, he's not going to live then. He's going to live then also. <laughs> he's going to live again here. I'm going, to, I'm going to raise him back up from the grave. I'm going to bring him back up from, from death. And Jesus said something that was very, very, very interesting. I've always thought, I'll submit this to you, because I don't think that it just applies to a resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Because Jesus isn't talking to Mary and Martha about necessarily the event of Lazarus being raised back from death. He's talking about who he is. You remember? Let's turn there real quick, just so you can see this. You got your finger in Romans chapter 5? That was a question. Keep your finger. Let me, let me give you instruction. Keep your finger in Romans chapter 5. We'll turn to John chapter 11 for just a moment. We're not going to take a lot of time. John chapter 11, we might as well just start in verse 1. We got the time, I think. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, in the town 
the town of Mary and his sister Martha. And it was that Mary, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters went to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And Jesus loved Martha and her sister in Lazarus. So when he had heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, I want to just take a moment, and I'm not preaching on Lazarus this morning, but how many of you here this morning, I think it's, how many of you agree that context means something? How many of you agree that words mean something? How many of you think that it's interesting that before, before, the Bible tells us that Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. The Bible tells us two times about Lazarus and the sisters and three times about the sisters that Jesus loved them. Did you pay attention to reading that? Isn't that interesting? This isn't just somebody that he knows. This is someone he's close with. This is someone he is tight with. This is a family that he truly, genuinely has a real love for. In the Bible, right before that verse, it says he stayed there two more days. He says that he loved. Now, Jesus loved, verse 5, Martha and her sister in Lazarus. So when he had heard that he was sick, he stayed there two more days in the place. It's putting, us, it's putting our mind at rest and helping us understand this is somebody that Jesus really cares about. The Bible's telling us that Jesus really cares about these people, but yet he still on purpose, doing what he's doing in the town or the city that he's in, and he's going to stay there two more days to finish what it is that the Lord has for him to accomplish. He's not moved. I'm not preaching on Lazarus this morning. He's not moved by what he's seeing. He's not moved by what he's hearing. He says this sickness, he made a proclamation as a king in the earth. You have to see this. He made a proclamation. This sickness is not unto death. The sickness is not unto death. The sickness is not unto death. In fact, it's going to be to the, to the glory of Jesus Christ, that the Father would be glorified in the Son. And then he goes on again. The Bible tells us how Jesus loved these people and how Jesus stayed there. And then after, after the two days, verse 7, he said, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, verse 8, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you excuse me, are you going there again? And Jesus answered and said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that, he's, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. Now you got to understand something. Either Jesus is lying, either Jesus is lying, or Lazarus is already dead. Now we know because we have the hindsight to be able to go back and look at it. We know in the context that Lazarus is already dead because when he gets there, his sister is telling him how long he's been dead. But right here, they hadn't heard any word yet. 
And Jesus makes a comment to him. He says, Lazarus is sleeping. We're going to go over there, go to his house and wake him up. And I said, well, if he's sleeping, he's going to be fine. And Jesus is like, yep, he's going to be fine. Because I said this sickness is not going to be unto death. Where the word of a king is, Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there is power. Who will say unto him, why do you do the thing that you do? Think about the end of Ecclesiastes 8.4. Who can say to the king, why do you do these things? Who can stand in the sight of Jesus at this time and say, why are you waiting two days? Who can stand in the sight of Jesus and say, how come you said he was sleeping when he was dead? Who can say to you, why do you do these things? What doest thou, you? Verse 13, however, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was still speaking. They thought that he was speaking about talking about rest and sleep. Excuse me. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Because they were thinking, yeah, he's just sleeping. He's going to be all right. And Jesus said, no. No, Lazarus is dead, but we're still going to. That doesn't change anything. <laughs> we're still going to go and wake him up. What? what? He's, he's dead. What do you mean wake him up? If you're talking about sleeping. But Jesus had already made a declaration when he first heard about his friend Lazarus. He said, this sickness is not unto death. All right, I'm not talking about Lazarus this morning. Help me, Jesus, to get through this. Lazarus is dead, he says. Verse 15, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. You may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciple, let us also go that we may die with him. They were mourning. They were, this was a friend. They were in mourning. So when Jesus came, verse 17, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the, woman, excuse me, joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha, verse 21, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I wonder why she would say something like that. She must have personally experienced this authority in the, in the demands or commands as a king that Jesus had given in the earth. Now, I know right now this is difficult for you because your mind is rushing to, yeah, but Jesus was God in the flesh. Yeah, but of course, Jesus was God. Of course, Jesus was God. Yeah, of course, Jesus was God. Listen, I'm not attacking the deity of Jesus Christ. Of course, he was God in the flesh. But Jesus didn't function as God in the earth. He functioned as a man anointed by God, the same way that we're supposed to. It would absolutely be unfair for God to say, you go do the things that I did. And then, now this is the part that catches a lot of people. I do not believe in doom and gloom. I do not believe in standing up and talking about all this ridiculous hellfire and brimstone and God's just waiting for you to mess up. Was anybody here Wednesday? Like, that's what we preached. I don't, I don't believe that. I think that that's a twisted view of God. I think it's a twisted view of the Word of God. And I believe it's out of context. 
because I don't even live in a dispensation of wrath. I live in a dispensation of grace, excuse me. Okay? So I don't believe that. But, everybody say but. Everybody looking at me? But there is a judgment for us. We really are going to stand in front of God, and we really are going to give an account for what we did and did not do. We really do have a judgment that is waiting for us. And so, back to my point, it would absolutely be unfair for God to say to Eric, you go do the same things I did in this earth if God did them as God. Beyond saying it, are y'all listening to me? Beyond saying it to Eric, Eric is actually accountable in eternity for doing it. At the judgment, everybody look at me. This is not doom and gloom and God's going to kill everything that moves. That's out of this dispensation. That's the end of the church age. But it doesn't remove us from the reality But there is a judgment. Now, thank God that our shortcomings and our failures aren't judged like the wicked. God isn't going to look at you and look at me and say, get out of my face, I can't stand your guts, get out of here, and send us to hell. But the things that we did and the things that we didn't do are going to be tested and tried to fire. This is very Bible, (laughs) very much so. And it's not fair if God would say to Eric, you got to go do the things that I did in the earth. How much more would it be tipped to an unfair degree if we're going to be judged whether we do it or not? It's not an option. Let me say that again. This is not an option. It's a commandment that Jesus gave. The Great Commission is not a great suggestion. It's an absolute command of Almighty God to the body of Christ. You go raise the dead. Period. You go cast out devils. Period. You go heal the sick. Period. You go cleanse the leper. Period. You go preach the good news. Period. This is not a suggestion. He wasn't sitting up there one day saying, I got an idea, I'm kind of bored. I got this plan. We'll just see how many of our people will, will be swayed by the power of suggestion. We'll see what we can come up with here. No, Jesus stood and he gave a commandment to the body of Christ, and we will absolutely 100% be accountable for what we did and did not do to fulfill the Great Commission. absolutely, the lot is falling on us. The brunt of the responsibility comes to us. God has already done everything that he can do to fulfill it. He's already paid for it to be fulfilled, and it is my job to go and heal the sick. It is my job to speak with other tongues. It is my job to cast out devils, not just mine, yours too. It's my job to go and do what God told me I was supposed to do on this earth, and that would be absolutely ridiculously unfair if Jesus did those things as God. It'd be impossible because how many of you would be the first one to testify, I am not God? It would be unfair. The Bible says God's just. Just doesn't mean unfair. In fact, just means perfectly fair. See, we've 
we've got to look at the Bible. Are you, are you getting helped by this? We've got to look at the Bible as an entirety based on covenants and based on dispensations. We live in a dispensation of grace in the new covenant. We're living in the church age, and we play by a different set of rules than the people who lived on the other side of the cross in a different covenant. And God brought forth his own son, born of a virgin, that he would be able to come in this world, and Jesus was the prototype of a human that God desired for us to be. He went before us in all things. Everything God wanted to put on the inside of you and on the inside of me, he put it on the inside of Jesus before he died on the cross. He was anointed of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be anointed of the Holy Spirit. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. We're supposed to go do good and heal all who are oppressed of the devil. And we can't sit there and say, well, we have no power and we have no ability and we have no way to do these things because we're not God. No, on the contrary, we can do these things. We have the ability to be able to do these things. He's given us the power to be able to do these things. And beyond the suggestion, we'll stand in front of him someday and he'll say, why didn't you do what I told you to do? I'd look at myself in the mirror if I could, if I had one, so that way nobody feels like I'm talking about them and singling them out. He's going to look at me someday. He really is going to look at me someday, and he's going to say, Brian, hey, hi, how you doing? Why didn't you do what I told you to do? Did you think I was kidding? Did you think that I was just making this up? Did you think that this was just a suggestion? Well, I don't like that church. The responsibility is put back on me. Yes, it is. The responsibility is put back on me. See, and unfortunately, we're out of time. The body of Christ is way too interested in how much money they can have and the fancy houses they can live in and the awesome cars they can drive. And their preachers are looking for ways to manipulate and take advantage of people. Instead of pulling together the resources and saying, I have a responsibility to Jesus Christ himself to fulfill that commission that he commissioned me to do in this earth. I'm preaching better than you're amening. But we can't look at it and say, well, that was because he was God. And we can't do what he told us to do because he was God and we're not. And we don't have the same power that he had. All these things, by the way, are lies, and we can prove, disprove them scripturally. We do have the same power that he had. We can do the same thing. In fact, he said, the things I do, you will do, and greater things than these will you do. Why? Because I will go to my Father and make atonement for the world's sin. And I'll make you something just like, <laughs> just like Jeremiah saw. Man, I wish we had like three more hours. I can. You can't, but I can. I, I dare you to dare me. <laughs> Remember Jeremiah? The Bible says that Jeremiah was fellowshipping with God, and God spoke to him and said, Jeremiah, get up and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. He was just fellowshipping with God. Isn't it good enough for us to stay right here? Maybe you can just tell me what you want to tell me right here. Isn't this good enough? You know, sometimes God asks you to do things that seem ridiculous. And sometimes it's ridiculous. And sometimes he's just seeing if you're willing.
Oh, I knew God tested you. No. God is tested by no one, neither does he tempt and test anyone. He's just seeing if you are willing. He's just seeing if you're willing to dip seven times for leprosy to go off. You get in a dirty water and dip seven times for dirty skin disease to come off of your... Sometimes. Here we are talking to God. And he says, get up and leave here from talking to me. And go down to the potter's house and then I'm going to have you hear me. To me, I'd be like, hey, I'm not lazy. But can't we just do this here and cut out the... Here we are. But the point is that he had to see something in a picture. And he stood there and he watched the potter at the wheel. And I think that it's interesting that the Bible tells us that Jeremiah stood and he watched the potter at his wheel with a vessel. He watched him with a vessel. And he watched him go through and take this vessel that was marred and take this vessel that was cracked and take this vessel that was dirtied and take this vessel that had imperfections in it And he made the vessel in his hand something brand new again that wasn't there before. And he had to work and get the stones out and get the hay out and get the sticks out and fill in the cracks. And and, and then God said, what what, what did you see? He said, well, I saw a potter at his wheel. And he said, no, 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 no. Look again. Have you ever read this before? He says, no, 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 no. Look again. All right, I see the potter at the wheel. I see the vessel in the hands of the potter. I see that it's broken, that it's marred in the hands of the maker. And then the light came on. And he said, it's in the hands of the potter. And the potter is making it something brand new. And all those many years before Jesus, he said, that's exactly what I'm going to do when I send myself to the world. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to make them something they never were before. Make them something that, out of an imperfect thing, out of an imperfect marred vessel, I'm going to make them a perfect vessel. And if he would go so far to make us this perfect vessel, then he's going to fill us with himself and his ability and his power to be able to do what he commanded us to do in this earth. If you don't get anything out of this morning, I mean, we're talking about ruling and reigning in the earth as a king and a priest unto God. But if you don't get anything out of this sermon at all this morning, get this. Take this. Receive this. The same power that was on the inside of Jesus in his earthly ministry is on the inside of me. But instead of just hearing it and say, yeah, I've heard that, I've been, that's great, wonderful. Really let that hit you and really let that soak into you and really let that take root on the inside of you. Verse 17, Jesus came, he found that he has already been in the tomb for four days and Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, yeah, 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 right, I get it. I know, I know, I know he will. He'll, he'll be risen again at the resurrection on the last day. I understand it. Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he poses a question to her. He asks her a question. See, this isn't about an event of, do you really believe that your brother can live again? So much further than that. So much more than just an event. Jesus is trying to communicate to this sister who he is and what he is capable of doing. And he challenges her, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? He puts the responsibility squarely on her shoulders and says, I'm not talking about your brother living again. I'm talking about who I am. Do you believe I am who I said that I was? See, we get into these situations where we say, how can I rule and reign in life with authority? How can I rule and reign in life with power? How can I operate in this earth with any kind of ability to be able to bless people by God? Because we're more concerned about our yesterday than we are about our today and our tomorrow. And we have to be like God and be more concerned about our today and our tomorrow than we are about our yesterday. We've got to change our viewpoint and change how we look at things. Because if we are acting unlike him, then we're more concerned about what happened yesterday or the day before or the day before and the sins of our past, the failures of our past, the shortcomings of our past, the insecurities of our past, the whatever fits of our past will absolutely handcuff, paralyze us from being effective today. And I'm willing to wager it'll handcuff us tomorrow and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And Jesus is sitting here this morning. I believe that this doesn't just work with Lazarus. I am borrowing this from that context, but we can see many times where Jesus said he was the resurrection and life. We read one of them in Revelation chapter 1. But Jesus is sitting here many times telling us, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. I'm the healer. I'm the deliverer, I'm the redeemer, I'm the savior, I'm the this, I'm the that. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said, my flesh is the way, my flesh is the door. With you not eating my flesh, you will not go to heaven. With you not drinking my blood, you will not go to heaven. Jesus has said all of these things, all these things, all these things. And I don't believe that it's just about an event. I believe it's more about what he said that he was, or excuse me, rather, who he said that he was. And I believe this is something that has always been in my heart and always been in my spirit. Whenever I read something that the Bible says that God has made me to become, whenever I read something that the Bible says that God has provided for me, and I can see that it is absolutely in relationship to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I always go back to this verse and this question and this statement. And I always say to myself, self, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because I can hold on to the Bible, and I can quote Scripture, and I can tell you all the things that I believe. 
But if I haven't received that understanding in my spirit and it hasn't turned the light switch on in my life and helped me understand, maybe this morning it happened when we were talking about the Great Commission. Maybe the Lord helped somebody talking about that. Or maybe the Lord helped somebody talking about the fact that we've been made kings and priests unto our God and we're going to reign. Or maybe the Lord helped somebody talking about going on to the potter's house and causing him to hear the words. Or maybe the Lord's talking about whatever it is that the Lord is helping you with. It, it doesn't matter the point. It's not about the event. It's about in your life, is he really in your life? Is he really who he said that he was in your life? And if he is who he said that he was, this is where I, I got you. It's like checkmate. If he is who he really said that he was in your life, then you are really who he said you were in this life. It doesn't work. It, it cannot work. You cannot say, I believe that Jesus is, but I believe that I am not. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. If he is really who he said he was in your life and you believe it. In other words, you've answered that question. Do you believe this? And you said, yes, Lord, I do believe it. I believe it. Then the Bible tells us that we're in him. And if we're in him and he is who he says he is and he is all the things that the Bible says that he is, then I've got to be just, I'm guilty by association. Just because I'm in him, I'm all the things that he said I was. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Turn to Romans chapter 5. You hold up your finger there. Is this helping anybody? We're supposed to reign in this life to the same capacity that Jesus is reigning now. And like I said, it'd be good enough if we just got to the understanding of reigning in this life like Jesus did before he went to the cross. But the context is talking about how he did now. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as the one man's sin entered the world, or just as through, excuse me, one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin, for until the law there was in the world, excuse me, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's death, or excuse me, one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. If you, if you don't believe that, if that's hard for you to swallow, if that's hard for you to believe, that's okay. That's all right. 
But what you need to do is you need to do what we saw people in the Bible in the New Testament say, Lord, help my unbelief. Because it is an absolute fact. It is something that God told you that you were supposed to be and told you that you were supposed to do. And this is the thing, and this isn't anything, you're, I'm not trying to work you to a frenzy and get you all, all scared and all terrified of, of dying and standing in front of Jesus someday. But I want to encourage you to look at the Bible, see what it is to operate in this earth with authority, see what it is to operate in this earth with power, see what it is to operate in this earth with ability, and then Look at areas in your life that need to be adjusted and acknowledge that just like the Great Commission, God is expecting that of you. See, I said on Wednesday night, and people kind of looked at me like, what? I said this, and I, I, in a minute I didn't say it on accident, and I mean it again. The Bible is working for you, or it's working against you every day every day. And it's not just working for you or working against you just because you're a Christian. The Bible is the word of God spoken forth in this earth. And whether people acknowledge it or not, it makes this much difference to God. It's still working for people and it's still working against people every day until the resurrection, until the, the, until the, the rapture. And then the rest of the Bible is working for us for the rest of eternity. So this verse right here, looking at it and say, for as many as received this free gift of righteousness and as many as have received the abundance of grace, period. Let's put a period there for just a moment and do an exercise. By a raising of hands. Is there anybody in this room who has received a free gift of righteousness and abundance of grace from Jesus Christ. If you have, put your hand in the air. Everybody. Yes? So as many as received this free gift of righteousness and this abundance of grace, we've been ordered of God to reign in this life through the one, Jesus Christ. It's something that was set into motion. We didn't get voting power. <laughs> we didn't get to say, I like that. Yes, yay for me. Or, no, I don't like that so much. Nay, I'm not going to do that one. There was no, we didn't have any voting power. Didn't have any say in the matter. God said, if you have received the free gift of righteousness, if you have received the abundance of grace, as a byproduct of receiving those two things, you will reign in this life through the one, Jesus Christ. Period. This is, it's a byproduct. The issue is, and I'm not talking about anybody in this room, but I've ran across people who have received the free gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace, and they're not reigning over their dog, let alone their life, let alone their spouse, their, their wife's life or their children's lives. They're not reigning over anything. No, no one here, we're not talking about people here. I just, I've heard about this 
type of Christian before. I've ran into them uh, places that I've been. But what we have to be remembered of, reminded of, excuse me, what we have to remember, what we have to be reminded of is that God spoke that into order and he spoke that into existence. And whether it happens or not, I give an account. Whether I knew it or not, I give an account. This is going to get me in trouble. You know, you're accountable for the things that you don't know. No, I'm not. The Apostle Paul said I'm not. No, the Apostle Paul said you weren't. It used to not be. But now you are. These times, the Apostle Paul said, of ignorance, surely God will forgive. But there is a time, there's a dividing line where we got to put away childish things and start acting mature. We're accountable for the things we do know and the things we don't know. And thank God that <laughs> eternal salvation isn't based on the things that I do and don't know or the things that I do and don't do. Because I don't know about you, but I'd be in trouble in some areas. Anybody want to testify to God being good? But how awesome would it be if we stood up on the inside and say, man, I'm a king unto God. I'm a priest unto God. I've been given authority by Almighty God to rule and reign in this life. I can't do it without Jesus. I can't do it apart from Jesus. It's he reigning in me, but I'm reigning because I'm in him, and I have ability to be able to go and affect people's lives for his glory, for his honor, and for his namesake. How many of you would rather hear preaching like this than preaching that tells you that you're no good and you can't do anything? God's angry with you, and he's not happy or pleased with you. How many would like to just hear the good news of God that he's wanting, he's wanting to do something in you and through you, and he's put you into the game. He didn't put you on the bench. He's not concerned about what you did yesterday. He's more concerned about what you want to do today and tomorrow. How many of you would say thank God for the word?